The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 139. Like, yes, of course, with age comes certain ways of understanding, but also youth and children and their specific ways in which they're understanding the world have a wisdom that we so often forget about. Mace Mooney is a psychotherapist in training and a leader with Affirming Youth Ministries, a nonprofit dedicated to ministering to LGBTQIA youth and those that love them in the name of radical inclusion, authenticity, and God's expansive love. They're the co-host of the podcast No Small Thing, which invites folks to live less certain and more curious lives. I'm so excited to have Mace on the show today. Mace has been a friend of mine for years. <laughs> and every time I chat with them, I'm like, we need to get you on the show. The way you think, I just like it. I like the way you think. Um, and you're going to find out why here in a moment. No announcements today. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Mace, hi, welcome. Hi, Matthias. <laughs> well, to start, this is a question I ask everyone. Uh, what are your identities and how has faith helped form those identities? Gosh. I've thought about this question all day and I'm instantly like, oh, what are my identities? Uh, I feel like, well, first off, my name is Mace, so I guess my identity is just being Mace. Um, And I use they, them pronouns. And I don't know, I'm currently in the season of having few identities, like few labels, I would say. Um, I would say I identify within the queer community. I probably at this point would say I identify as non-binary, although that language is always in flux for me. Um, and I don't know, I think just the second you label something or give something a name, you're both naming it and giving it something, but you're always not naming what it is. Cause I feel like all labels are just a representation of something. So yeah, those are, I guess I would just fall under the queer umbrella. That's the big identity. And gosh, how has my faith shaped that? I think just in the most robust way, I think my image and the images that I'm drawn to of who I think God or the universe or the the unknown beyond humanity is, is one of multiplicity and expression and expansion and uh, unboundedness. And so I think that that's helped shaped me in terms of knowing that my identity can have that same kind of openness, flow, multiplicity relational bend if that makes sense i think it does 
Well, because because I'm I mean we've been playing with that idea of the moment you name something, <laughs> it means you have left a lot unnamed, and and playing even with that kind of what you're talking about with spirituality and God and and those kind of really big questions. I mean, do those things play together for you? They totally do. I mean, so. I guess for context of just who I am, if anyone doesn't know me, like I'm Mace, I'm 27 years old. I like studied theology in my undergrad and specifically youth ministry. And then now I'm studying, I don't know, like psychoanalytic, psychoanalysis stuff and trying to inter, interplay with both of those kind of fields. And yeah, I think as the second we start to think we can name God and have like certainty around who God is or this thing beyond ourselves, we're we're already kind of missing something because a label is always just, you know, a word we give for something, not the whole complete thing. And yet we need to label things in order to make sense of them at the same time. And so I think I always see my own identity as just being in this back and forth play with like how I also see uh, the identity that's beyond me. Um, again, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Like, like. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking about things that don't make sense. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. I mean, this quote that right now has been like my number one quote of like, because I'm thinking, I was thinking today, okay, what is my faith? How would I describe my faith? And I'm like, I don't know. I grew up Christian. I still have a lot of Christian motif in me, but my belief in spirituality is also interwoven with lots of other things. And I think what my faith boils down to right now is this one quote, which is something unknown is happening. We don't know what. That is what our knowledge amounts to. Mm. And I think that's where my faith places at and also my own identity places at. Like, I don't know, but I'm paying attention and just letting what unfolds be and just trying to like be curious about who I am and who God is and kind of in that mm. posture. Can, can we play with that a little bit? Oh, like, please, Matthias. Yeah. And my mind is going to this place of like the unnameable, yes. <laughs> and how the moment, I, I mean, everything you're just saying, but I'm also thinking about like this importance of naming. Like, like I feel like some of what makes like therapy work is that we're putting into language things that have been unlanguaged, where we haven't had access to language. I mean, that's so much of trauma work is, is being able to language something we haven't been able to, to language, to put together. Um, it's not the only thing of trauma work, but that, that's a huge part of it. And, and so, like, I, I even wonder around, I mean, that tension there between the importance of naming and how we can't name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's exactly it. it. It's, I don't know. I think queerness has helped shape this, but just other concepts. But, and I think within Christianity, there's all this idea of like a right paradox, like something being rightly both at the same time. So labeling and naming is both helpful, powerful, needed, and always not helpful, you know, like it's, it's it's I feel like there's a tension of holding both of those things. And and I mean one of the things that you do is you help run this international youth group for queer LGBTQ young folks. Yes. I feel so old when I say young folks. <laughs> well, I do too. But guys, I'm 27 now and I feel like I'm no longer, like I'm closer to middle adult than I am teen. 
Yes. And that's that's a new reality. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> it is. I'm like, crap, I have to grow up. <laughs> and and like I, I mean I I've been to this youth group i have seen some of the work y'all are doing in there and i think one of the things that i really love about it is that i mean you loosely kind of play with this idea of christianity um, in that youth group but you're you're also doing something that i don't know that i have ever seen in a youth group before is is holding so much room for incredible amounts of uncertainty and these big huge questions of faith like could, could you even talk a little bit about this youth group what it is what you're doing there yes i would love to yeah so this youth group we actually there's like two youth groups technically but it's all under the umbrella of affirming youth ministries which is an organization that i mean a group of us started kind of out of like you know what happens to queer folks in the church like we formed this out of the fact that there weren't faith spaces where we could be our whole selves and explore god in the ways we wanted to um, and a bunch of us were doing youth ministry at this one church and it just wasn't working and decided we can build and imagine how we think faith and community could look like. Um, and so this group called Rebel, which is the name of the youth group got formed, which I think in itself, the name is just kind of, I mean, Scott, who's the, the pastor of it, his whole shtick with that is teenagers are at this place of learning to rebel. And so rather than like resist that, come alongside that. But no, I mean, it's become this place where we have, it's, it's specifically we're reaching out to queer youth across the world. Um, and it's really become so special because it's so much more than just, oh, a space where queer kids who have been kind of disenfranchised from the church can come and find home. It's really become more than that. It's become this place where I think by nature of so much of so many of us being queer, but also just the philosophy of like every person has a right to language and to come to know God, how they how they come to know God. And we do that in community and we, we learn about God and that which is beyond us by sharing and by partnering with each other, by also supporting like each person's individual experience. It's been so cool because we get kids that are. Baptist or kids that are deconstructing or kids that are Catholic. And just by nature of it being an online group where people can come from anywhere, we really like have to sit with multiplicity and uncertainty and have to sit with that some people have beliefs about God that others don't. And part of our values is that we allow that space. And I mean, it's just been like incredible. I think none of us when we started this had any idea uh, that that was like really possible. And it's been really cool to see that it is, it is really possible. We've created a kind of just, that's the, it's one of our home values is that tension and uncertainty and not knowing is, is what we do here and, uh, will help provide like bumpers and rails, I think would be the way we describe it. But, but the hope is that we can play with our faith and play with our identity and not feel like we have to come to any specific conclusion about who we are, who we think God is, because I think the reality of ourselves and the reality of the world is that we're always changing and growing. And so having that be a value has just, I, it's created a really, a really cool atmosphere. As I said, like I have been there, but I think I've been there like once. And I still feel like I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around 
what that even looks like. Because I feel like it's so far outside of my context of what, you know, quote unquote, youth group, any like church related activity is like, I mean, how does that even work, Mace? I feel like it works in that we have, you know, first off, we have like a discord, which I don't know if you know much about discord. A little bit. I mean, I'm not like a cool person. But no, I've... it's it's totally. We have like I, I joke. I'm like we have all the internet queers, and it's really fun. But we have this Discord, which is just an open channel where anyone can go and kind of we have different topics that people can go to, and we have this one group called Questions and Perspectives, which is just this whole idea of like, if you have a question, bring it, and everyone shares their perspective, and the idea is that we're never going to reach like a specific conclusion. And there's just that channel and that's kind of forms in a lot of ways where these conversations happen. But then I think like alongside that, you know, typically I know I grew up in a typical youth group where it was like, let's hope these kids all confess that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and walk up to the front of the altar once a year just to make sure, you know, we're all on the right track and following specific ways of believing. And it just was such a different model. And I don't know, an example is like, this summer, the topic we've always we've done this now two summers in a row where the topic is pop culture summer and students and leaders each get to choose a pop culture topic that they want to talk about and how it relates to their faith. And, you know, we've had a range of things, including people talking about Taylor Swift, people talking about their favorite anime, people talking about like a metal satanic band and how it relates to their faith. And I think it's just by creating, you know, opening up the platform to say your voice matters and it matters that we all approach your perspective with curiosity, that it just starts to build trust that, okay, their voice matters and their difference matters and I can sit with that. And then that will help me to know myself a little better. And when it's my time to share what I believe faith to be is, there will be an audience who gives me the same curiosity. And so I think just having that be... It, it just works in that like almost everything we do is just that's like imbued in the spirit of of the practices we have i mean it, it feels like an antidote to certainty yes which i mean there's this other overarching thing of like overarching thing is like i have a podcast with scott who's also the the pastor and like founder of aim and our whole motto is li- inviting you to live less certain more curious lives and so there's just kind of that value going all throughout of like, it's okay to embrace uncertainty and that can actually be liberating. And we always joke, it's like, not like no certainty, but just, I think our culture has a really hard time, our culture, our culture like as if it's just one giant broad thing. <laughs> but I think we as humans generally have a really hard time when we don't have control. But I think the reality is we have so much less control than we think. And so how we sit and hold with our lack of control and the uncertainty of the world. And I think that we feel like it's important to help equip teens to sit with uncertainty. Like, yes, you can sit with uncertainty and that's going to be okay and safe. And you're actually maybe going to be able to pay attention more and, and be more in touch with what you want if you're able to sit with it. I think we believe that to be a really important thing, an important tool to provide people with in a world where it seems like we're all really struggling to, to manage 
how so much of the world is out of our control. I mean, that, I feel like that directly relates to some of the the realities that those of us who are a little bit older are having to face. Almost that kind of rude awakening that the world isn't getting better. And like, of, of course, like I, the moment I say that, I want to add a billion caveats to that. Of like, I'm not, of course I'm not that naive to like have been living in a dreamland my entire life. Like, but you are stepping into this with a group of people who are maybe living in that uncertainty even more than we are, like teens, <laughs> kids. I mean, how is that showing up in in the group? Well, I think that's the thing that's so, I mean, so we can get into this also too coming, this, this could be a teaser for later, but I mean, I think we also live in a world that thinks, uh, again, this, this world, I guess that's my, my idea of the world, but adults have the answers or you know you grow up and you start to have certain wisdom that you didn't have when you were younger and i think there's some truth to that that like yes of course with age comes certain ways of understanding but also youth and children and their specific ways in which they're understanding the world have a wisdom that we so often forget about and i think one of the tasks of you know being a teenager really is this task of who am I and what does that mean for for me to figure out who I am and you know teenagers are going through figuring out what they're how they identify there is you know they'll jump between sports they'll jump between activities they'll jump between artists and I think so often people will be like be consistent be consistent and it's like no explore like figure out where your heart sings figure out you know this year I'm going to hang out with the emo kids and next year I'm going to see what it's like to be preppy. Like that's an amazing thing to do. And I think when you're in high school, that's kind of what you, you naturally are figuring out how to do that. And so I think it being a youth group where we're saying uncertainty and, you know, rebelling and your perspective and your voice matters, it, it works also because of the wisdom of, teens. It works because of the wisdom that youth just naturally have. And I think it's invited a lot of us older folks into kind of reclaiming that wisdom that we've, we often kind of forget or call like frivolous teenage wisdom. But it's like, no, I think that, uh, that we, if we can hold that and integrate that, that's a very beautiful thing. What do you feel like that invites you into for yourself? I think for myself, it invites me into not feeling like who I am today has to mean that is who I am tomorrow. Mm. And I think it invites me into a little bit more of a playfulness around who I am. Again, I think, you know, when you're younger, you're still discovering who you are. And I think there's almost like this myth that by you, by the time you reach a certain age, you will have discovered who you are. And I think being around, because I also work with children, like young children, and I think being around young children and youth is just a really heavy dose good reminder that we're always open, like we're always changing, and that's okay, and that's good, and it's it's not really frivolous, 
and I'm never going to come to a conclusion of who I am. I mean, it's back to the beginning of the conversation where I'm like, I don't know how to name who I am or who God is and all of these things. And we can come up with labels along the way, but they're just stepping stones and we don't have to be bound to them in this really rigid, tight way. We can we can hold them loosely. That, that makes me think of this poem that you read last year when our mutual friend Kevin Garcia was in town. We did a little event together. That that, that poem. I mean, would you be, would you be willing to share it with us? Because it may be better for you to just just share this poem because it's it's stunning. I have it. I have it pulled up. So I'll just give a little like what this poem is and where it comes from. So I like I said I work with children and I work in preschool and the preschool approach that I work within is called Reggio Emilia, which is just an incredibly play-based approach. The, the whole notion is that we learn and play and that playing is where we come to find who we are, which, I mean, we could get into the psychoanalytic pieces around that. <laughs> I um, want to. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's awesome. But this um, is a poem written by Loris Malaguzzi, who is the founder of this approach, and it's called The, Hun- the Hundred Languages. Um, okay. No way. The hundred is there. The child is made of one hundred. The child has a hundred languages, a hundred hands, a hundred thoughts, a hundred ways of thinking, of playing, of speaking. A hundred, always a hundred, ways of listening, of marveling, of loving, a hundred joys for singing and understanding, a hundred worlds to discover, a hundred worlds to invent, a hundred worlds to dream. The child has a hundred languages and a hundred, hundred, hundred more. But they steal 99, the school and the culture, separate the head from the body. They tell the child to think without hands, to do without head, to listen and not to speak, to understand without joy, to love and to marvel. They tell the child to discover the world already there. And of the hundred, they steal 99. They tell the child that work and play, reality and fantasy, science and imagination, sky and earth, reason and dream are things that do not belong together. And thus they tell the child that the hundred is not there. The child says, no way, the hundred is there. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I love that poem. (laughs) Me too. Me too. It gives me chills every time. My first like day of work, they had this poem in the bathroom and I just was like, I... I read it like 15 times. I was like, I'm just here reading this poem, guys. <laughs> I'm not going to the bathroom. <laughs> but I think that this poem really captures this sense of just the infinite possibility we have as humans to explore and create and discover. And so often we get bogged down by what things are supposed to be. And we can't discover our own world for ourselves. How do we unlearn that? I mean, my first thought was just play, like just my my simple answer was play. And I don't know, you know, exactly how we even get ourselves into play states. When you say like play state, like, can you say a little bit more about like what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, first, I think of like the Winnicottian idea of play being the paradox of the real and the unreal, where, Mm. where we're in this fluid place of of working with concepts and ideas and pretending, but they're all, it's also very real. So, I mean, I want to be a child therapist and play therapist. So I'm like, you know, when a child is playing and, you know, is playing with a house and a doll and the doll, the house catches on fire and they run and they're escaping from the house. That, that play is both, you know, pretend it's not real, the house isn't on fire, the child's not running from the house, and that play is entirely real. It is a real expression. What's happening there has so much meaning. Um, and so I think when I think of a play state, it's kind of this this ability to be in both, you know, imagination, pretend, as well as as in this is real and meaningful. So I'm making a painting, and it's it's, you know, pretend what's being put on the canvas. And it's also really real and matters. Um, so I don't know. I think playing and I, I as adults, it's so hard for us to play. Like play is so hard as adults. And it's almost like a life mission to come up with like hacks of how we get ourselves to play as adults. Mm-hmm. Because I think when we start to play and we start to see that things can be held more loosely, and I think play happens in conversation. Like we can play, like right now, I would say we're playing, you know, we're mm. we're using these words that we've claimed are half, they're, they're kind of real and they help us, but they're also not super real. And we're in this place of openness that I think um, helps us to start to see that we, we have a say in how we're creating and discovering the world. As opposed to, I think, when we're not playing and we're not in that, we can't have access to that openness. We can really feel stuck by what things are supposed to be. And the house becomes, like the dollhouse becomes just a dollhouse. And just a, a 
a figure and it's not able to kind of go to those distances of discovering like what could it mean if I play with this dollhouse what might I find about myself in that I mean I I often think about becoming an adult kind of moving further into life like like there is a tendency to move towards rigidity that is not my idea <laughs> many people have said that but like <laughs> like that kind of that movement towards we kind of get more and more rigid about the the way that we do life um and i mean there's there's neurobiological realities to that like our our brains prioritize neuropathways that we use there there are reasons for this but but i think what you're highlighting is how much we lose in that movement and also how much harder it gets the more rigid we are the harder it gets to come out of that rigidity which could be an explanation for some of the cultural moment that we are in exactly and it it is hard like i think that's the thing where i feel so passionate about this and i'm still figuring out how do we help ourselves because i mean i'll be the first to say i have some really rigid things inside of me and patterns that i'm like how do i loosen these up you know because it's true our we're It's not even, I mean, I guess laziness is true. We are kind of lazy. I'm like, this makes sense. And so I'm just going to stick with it. Um, But no, I think it is a really worthy task to put play. Like, I just think play is the center. I'm like, if we can put play at the center of things, I think it'll serve us all. Um, And I think also the the word, word that's come to mind as we're talking is just this idea of attention paying attention to where your attention goes and allowing yourself curiosity around where your attention goes, I think is a way to kind of open up into these kinds of less rigid places. I'm like a very huge advocate and I go back and forth and when I do it of doing morning pages. I don't know if you know about morning pages, Matthias. I'm familiar, but explain for folks who don't. Okay, so... A book recommendation I have for anyone who's listening, and if you're like, what is Mace talking about, but I'm curious, uh, I would suggest reading the book The Artist's Way by, oh my gosh, I can't remember her name, but you'll look it up, you'll be able to find it, The Artist's Way. And this book is kind of about finding your inner artist, and it's very play-oriented as well. But one of the practices that she invites folks to do is to every morning wake up, and the first thing you do is free associate write for three pages. Just nothing else, just free associating. And the whole idea of the practice is first off to kind of just like get the junk out of your head, you know, kind of like, oh, if I can clear my inner critics, my voices, almost like these labels, these structures, they kind of start to, to, you write them all down. And then it's also just paying attention to like, okay, if I have, if I can free associate every day for, you know, three pages, what am I writing about? What am I interested in? Where is my attention going? What do I do with this blank page? What what comes to mind? What what emerges to the surface? And starting to kind of just pay attention to that. And I think that allows you, as one starts to do a practice like that, or kind of any practice that's, you know, self-reflective, but this idea that it can open you up to playing with yourself, like playing with who you are, playing with what's possible for you, getting in touch with what your desire is. 
Um, and I think free association, just the idea of bouncing between ideas, not needing it to conform to a certain meaning, not me- needing it to make sense, writing things down in a way where it doesn't have to come to a specific conclusion or follow a certain pattern also helps us to kind of restructure this rigid way we see the world and helps us to see it in more of its fluid, contradictory, kind of chaotic way that that just is kind of more the real. So I'm thinking about play, (laughs) this youth group, these ideas of kind of God that I mean, you're playing with, uh, it sounds like your teens are, are playing within in the youth group. And my mind is going to fear, I, I, how like fear informs this rigidity. And, and in some ways around, especially around these questions of the, of the spiritual, at least in the world that I grew up in, it, it was so fear-based. Like how, like, be careful because you might say something wrong about God. You might have an idea that is ungodly or or whatever. Like like there wasn't a lot of flexibility because of this this fear of God in the universe or you know doing the wrong thing or whatever. I mean, do do you find yourself running into fear? Yes. I mean, I have like four answers to this. First off. We definitely, I mean, in the youth group, we have, I would say, a huge chunk of kids that come in and we tell them, hey, your ideas about God are cool and we're open and you're going to hear one idea and then the next week the speaker is going to say something that might contradict that idea. And there's, we have a chunk of kids that are like, what the heck? Like, what am I supposed to believe? What am I supposed to know? Tell me what I'm supposed to believe. Um And so that definitely arises. And that's something that I think we all really try to attend to really patiently and like understanding, of course, this is terrifying. Like uh, this idea of things not being quite so certain is, of course, terrifying. Like certainty is really helpful. Um, I mean, I can speak to it from a personal level. I, I didn't grow up in like a Christian home which is very funny because I ended up kind of taking myself to church in (laughs) sixth grade. And I was a highly, highly anxious child. I mean, I'm still a highly, highly anxious adult. (laughs) So like, it's fine. But I was a really anxious child and had a lot of separation issues and really was struggling with, um, I don't know, like with uncertainty, like really struggling with it. And I actually found, I went to a church camp, an evangelical church camp, and I found actually the rigidity of God loves you, God lives inside you, as long as you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're on his team and he's with you, to be just like antidote to my anxiety at the time. Mm -hmm. It was like, cool, 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 cool. I've been feeling anxious, stressed, uncertain about like, if I'm loved and now you're telling me God loves me as long as I just like walk up to the altar tonight. Wow, this is incredible. And my faith became very rigid in a lot of ways, but also like dampened my anxiety in this weird way where it's like, it's both an anxious thing because I also was like, crap, I got to read my Bible all the time. I've got to do all these specific things that will confirm that God still loves me. But there was an allure 
to the certainty that I was experiencing at the same time. There was an allure to this label of being a Christian. There was an allure to the fact that someone would stand up on the stage and tell me something and tell me it was the capital T truth. And I was, as an anxious person, looking for, you know, something to be capital T true. Um, And so now it's been interesting because I've been through a whole deconstruction, you know, season at the same time that I was like, I'm definitely not straight. And I'm definitely not a girl. So what do we do with all of this? It all was just kind of coming together. And I went through like a really uh, dark season of just like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in anything. I'm super scared. And it was, I feel like I had to go back to my sixth grade self and the anxiety that I was working out there and now re-engage with it and re-engage with uncertainty and learn not to run away from it by like casting certainty over it, but rather to come alongside it, partner with it, build tools, build resiliency around uncertainty, build community that helps me in it, not be so, so afraid of it that I have to create rigid systems where I can't actually work with it, but, but start to play with the uncertainty. And I think that Since that season, that's been kind of my own personal like journey with fear and all of this, because of course, like it's terrifying to kind of embrace a a motto of uncertainty. And I'm I'm at this point pretty convinced that even though it's terrifying, it, it helps me to be more in touch with reality and more in control than if I cast it away and, and just try to put up certainty, um, certainty walls that make me feel safe. I It might make me feel safe, but I don't know if it actually does make me safe. <clears throat> yeah. Right. B- because safety is ultimately an illusion built around your defensive structures. Like, <laughs> I, I think one of the hardest parts about working with anxiety therapeutically is that we actually have to heighten our anxiety anxiety to be able to work with it. Like, like if, if we're actually going to do something about the anxiety, we have to lean into it. We have to let it grow and experience the reality that even when our anxiety level is at like the worst it has ever been, I am still here. I am still alive. I am okay. Even if it's deeply uncomfortable. Yes. No, I think that's exactly it. And, you know, I mean, that's my own journey with therapy is my anxiety just skyrocketed in the early, skyrocketed is probably an exaggeration, but just my most recent therapist, it was like, we're not put, we're not casting this aside. We're actually going to listen to this. We're actually going to put this in the center of the room and see that, yeah, you'll survive. You'll survive and it'll be okay. Um, so I think that is like at our youth group, something we're really attentive to, I would say, or try to be attentive to is like, again, I think no, you know, safety, like you're saying is an illusion, you know, this idea of knowing things and having like this sense of it being a very specific way is also an illusion. And so working with teens there is that plasticity for them to be a bit more open to it. And there's also a lot of fear around that. They're also doing this task of identity and they're like, wait, you're telling me that 
there isn't a very specific path that I have to follow and that I can lead my own path. Like that's really scary. So I think that's where like community comes so becomes so important of like, you know, traversing uncertainty is terrifying. But if you do it with friends that are also, you know, traversing their own uncertainty, it becomes a little less scary. Say more, say more about that community. Yeah. I think this sense of, knowing you aren't alone in it, like knowing that there are other people who have their own tasks ahead of them and their own road and that we can weave within and find one another on our own roads is just, it's, I find it to be very comforting. and I've experienced it being very comforting in community that we could, you know, bring a topic forward and say, gosh, I don't know, what do you think? And then someone says, I don't know, I think this, and it means this to me. And then someone else says, oh, it means this to me. I think just the simple practice of watching another person make meaning in their own way and having it be specific to their own circumstance helps us to start to have perspective of like, okay, so then I have my own meaning and circumstance. And they're doing okay thinking this is that way, and I'm doing okay thinking it's this way, and we can still share in that and I can find, you know, solidarity or I can find, I can, I can just not be so alone in, in my thinking. Um, I think I, I find that to be a way to not run away from uncertainty, but a way to find camaraderie in the midst of it. The word that's coming to mind is like co-regulation there's something about being able to experience uncertainty, anxiety, really any feeling in the presence of other people who, even if we're all experiencing the same thing, it makes it more bearable in in the midst of other people. It can also make it more unbearable. Like we can also co-disregulate and make things worse, but like, (laughs) I'm glad to say that flip side of the coin. But it's true. And I think that for me, like on my own personal journey, Scott and I, we started this podcast, No Small Thing, and it became this mission of like inviting you to live a less certain, more curious life. And our whole shtick was like pick random topics. We just talk about it and see where the conversation leads. And I could never have gotten to the like, had we not been doing that as a team, could never have been as curious and playful as we were. Because there would be times where I'm like, this is scaring me. Like, these concepts are scaring me. This way of thinking is scaring me. And someone could say, okay, let's slow down. Like, let's think about it. Or I'm not scared or vice versa. Like having someone else, having other people who may also be like, this is scary along the way is is just so important and helpful. Like trying to do it alone is just, it's, I'm like, you have no shot. (laughs) We, Mm -hmm. we need each other. We need each other to to survive. We need each other to, you know, you said this earlier, like the, the world is, is, has been and is falling apart in a lot of ways. There are just so a lot of systemic pressures, a lot of just there's there's a lot against us and and i mean i i feel like i'm in an optimistic state right now (laughs) like and in the midst of that it's kind of like okay we could be like crap this is all terrible 
and kind of feel defeated. And I mean, I feel that a lot of the time. And we can also say, okay, this is the reality. What do we need to do then to create flourishing in it? What do we need to do to engage properly with the reality that the world is in many ways broken? How do we engage with a broken world? How do we go forward? And I mean, there's this concept that, I don't know if you know a Sean Crawley. Um, oh, highly suggest everyone go follow a Sean Crawley. All of his work is incredible. Um, and he talks a lot about this idea of creating spaces of otherwise possibility. So in the midst of all this brokenness, kind of like flourish, bloom, create the reality that you want to see, as opposed to, I, I'm, I'm all for tearing down systems 100%. And I'm all for in the midst of the tearing down to create pockets of hope and community and belief in flourishing that help shine like beacons of like, this is what we're trying to create. This is what we want to see in the world and creating little pockets of it. And so this idea of otherwise possibility just speaks so much to kind of all of this, but it it happens in community. It happens when we say, gosh, we believe there's something otherwise and we believe it's possible let's do it. Let's create it. Um, And I think in so many ways, that's how our little youth group uh, got formed of like, no, we've experienced these systems that have made it so hard to flourish and and work with the real, work with the real reality of a broken and beautiful world. And we're going to just create what what we believe would be helpful. And there's something deeply resistant in that. I mean, like, in a good way, <laughs> like, like those pockets of flourishing, which is resistance to those systems. No, exactly. It's like we all have our parts to play in resisting the systems. And I think a huge part is creating beauty, creating hope, creating community. And I think it's a liberatory act. I, like, really believe that. Well, Misa, so... It- I mean, we're talking about this youth group. <laughs> we're talking about all these other things that, that we're doing. Two questions there. Uh, if someone is listening, being like, how do I get plugged in with this youth group? Or how do I get my kid plugged in with this, this youth group? How do people do that? And also, what's your favorite way for people to interact with your work? Well, that's really sweet. Um, the first for Affirming Youth Ministries, Rebel, the youth group we've been talking about. I mean, Instagram is probably the best way to get in contact um affirming youth ministries like at affirming youth ministries you dm them follow Affirming youth ministries that's where you can get kind of connected and connected to the youth group connected to scott connected to the people in it um also you could just check check out affirming youth ministries.org um and that's where you can find more information um, just about Affirming Youth Ministries and what we're all about. And we're trying to spread the word about, we call it AIM for short, like spread the word. If you know someone that could use this or this is something, if you believe in kind of what we're doing and you want to support it, also spread the word. Um, so AIM, Affirming Youth Ministries, Instagram. And then, I don't know, if you want to follow my work, <laughs> my Instagram is not, isn't my work. So let's think about that. I mean, you could... Follow what I'm up to at No Small Thing. That's the podcast I'm a part of. Um, so you could check that out and follow at No Small Thing. And we're on a little bit of a break, but we'll be back. So uh, stay tuned for that if you're interested in that. Or if you're really vibing with all this like curiosity and uncertainty stuff, that's that's really the jam of No Small Thing. 
So good. Well, thank you so much, Mace. I love this. That is so fun. So fun. Be sure to check out Mace's podcast that they co-host, No Small Thing. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Their Instagram is at No Small Things. And Affirming Youth Ministries is at Affirming Youth Ministries. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod. Or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. And until next time, y'all, bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.